Hello, and welcome to the Gravel Ride Podcast. I'm your host, Craig Dalton. This week on the podcast, we have Jamie Burrow. He's a former pro tour rider on the road and current head of product for the UK brand Ribble Cycles. As you'll learn from Jamie, Ribble offers a full suite of gravel bikes across a range of materials and also offers the direct-to-consumer model via their website with a unique bike configurator tool that allows you to customize every element of your gravel bike. So if you're looking for those wide bars or 650 wheels or a little different saddle or setup, you can go through and individually customize every part and piece of the bike, making it uniquely yours, including a custom paint job, which I just learned about during the podcast, which I think is a fabulous opportunity for anybody looking to ride something unique. Before we jump in, I just wanted to send a huge thank you to those of you who have elected to become members of the podcast via buymeacoffee.com slash thegravelride. Your monthly support to my efforts at the podcast are hugely appreciated, and I wouldn't keep doing what I'm doing without your support. With all that said, let's dive right into my interview with Jamie. Jamie, welcome to the show. I appreciate you joining us all the way from the UK. Oh, you're welcome. I know we could easily do an hour on your backstory as a cyclist back in the pro tour, but for the purposes of this conversation, why don't you just tell us what led you to your current role at Ribble? I suppose it's taking a different path to uh, most people who, you know, ex-riders who go down the kind of sports director team management role. I come from a cycling family and grew up around bikes, really. Dad taught me to build bikes when I was probably about five years old, I think, and from early days, my dad was a designer himself by trade. And it's just passion for bikes as a kid. I started designing my own bikes as a teenager. Obviously, back in the days when everything was made by steel, I was designing my race bikes at sort of 15, 16, and had a, a local frame builder would build them for me. And then you go into the whole race career thing. And even there, it's, it's, it has its sides where, obviously, all your equipment is given to you. You don't have choice on things. Sometimes you're on the best equipment, sometimes it's not the best. And seeing the sides of things and thinking, oh, it would be so much better if we could have this or we could have done this way. So suddenly finding yourself coming out the other side, a career where you know, you're know you effectively riding the kit for seven, eight hours a day in all conditions. You know what you want, what's good and what's missing. So then to suddenly be behind the, the steering wheel of being able to have an input in those things, that's uh, pretty cool. Yeah, it's got to be pretty amazing to take your vision for what a bicycle should be and deliver it to the world. That's right. Yeah, obviously, my main background was obviously road riding. You know, and obviously, there's so many different forms, disciplines of, of cycling. But it, it does help when, when you've ridden bikes in every situation at a high level to know what they need for all, you know, performance-wise, aerodynamics, everything matters. You just... It, it's one of those kind of get to know things on, you know, that you get to know on the road. Can you? T- I was really tickled to learn about Ribble as such a storied UK brand that I hadn't really heard of. I suppose I'd seen it in some races, but it really didn't connect the dots until after I got introduced to it. Can you tell the listener a little bit about Ribble's history as a brand? Yes, it's actually a, a very old brand. It was originated in 1897, <laughs> so it's a Pretty old. Comes from the northwest of England. The Ribble name comes from the Ribble in the Ribble Valley. It was a family business for, for generations. Changed hands a few times as we went into the 20th century. And even from my own point of view, growing up, I say coming from a cycling family where, and obviously way before online sales, you know, we had Cycling Weekly magazine in the UK where the back pages were always full of 
adverts. Ribble was always the big advert, taking up the last two back pages of the magazine. And it was like one of the premium brands of the UK through 70s, 80s, 90s. They would sponsor some of the biggest elite teams in the UK. They were national team sponsor. They were the official Barcelona Olympics supplier. Guys like Boardman rode them for years previous to it, you know, before going to a pro tour career. Wiggins, even Geraint Thomas, you know, they're all guys that have ridden on Ribble over the years. And because they were one of the, they were one of the big brands, you know, going back in that that era. And then it sounded like in talking to you offline, the brand took a little dip as. Bicycle companies started to move from steel to carbon and other materials. And then it seems like over the last five, six years, it's had a really big resurgence in the UK. Can you talk us through what was going on there? Yeah, I, mean, I think that not just Ribble, I think it was obviously quite a fast change from steel and then a brief period into titanium and aluminium, at least as far as uh, road bikes were concerned, and then into carbon. And obviously, when carbon came along as a material, took away you know the ability for small builders as the UK was full of small frame builders as well as like the bigger brands like Ribble and as soon as you go to the kind of those different forms of production and obviously everything went over to Asia obviously the bigger brands managed to well I suppose they directed it from the beginning and it made it harder for the smaller brands to be able to keep pace as things were a lot more expensive especially when you look back uh, at the beginning of, of the carbon industry, mould costs, everything, production costs were so much more expensive than they are now. And I think a lot of brands did get lost through the 90s, early 2000s, but now things are a lot more accessible to everyone. And it's been our job to bring Ribble back on the map. And now Ribble's building out of all sorts of materials, right? Yeah, that's correct. And that is one of our kind of key USBs is the fact that we offer so many materials across so the same genre of bikes. Yeah, and I want to dig into the gravel series because that is clearly represented with aluminum, carbon, titanium. I did want to point out that Ribble has an exceptional web property at this point. It was really enjoyable going through the bike configurator and in talking to one of your colleagues, just learning about the sheer amount of customization that is available and the amount of handholding that the team provides for an e-commerce experience. I think is really exciting and notable in the industry. Do you want to talk about that direct consumer model and how you make the consumer feel like they're in the showroom with the employees even throughout the pandemic? Yeah, I mean, the whole, the key kind of USB for the business is our bike builder function, which allows you to effectively, you can either choose a bike from one of our pre-specs that have obviously been put together from our knowledge, but then obviously that's the way that most other bike brands do. Outside of that, the bike builder gives you the options to customize effectively everything. Whether you want to start from a, a frame platform or a group set and intermatch everything, the choice of handlebars from materials to sizes, handlebar stems, seat posts, saddles, tires, 700C, 650B wheel sizes, especially on, the, on a gravel bike, it flared bars, standard bars, crank lengths, all of these things we offer, as well as for a good part of a year and a half, two years now, we've been offering custom color. And all of this is done in-house. So every single bike is from the moment of order. It's one bike to one mechanic. So the whole process for, obviously, if you do go you know, directly online, or as you said, from we've got our go-in-store platform, which is a virtual in-store experience, which is proven really successful. You know, a lot of people go on there 
maybe initially with an idea of one product and actually walk away with another product because they didn't have a full understanding of what they really needed um, or just someone who didn't have an understanding and needed that expertise to to find that bike. And obviously starting from the kind of riding the person wants to do budget, obviously, and the fact, the way the bike builder works, you can completely customise that bike to the rider. You're not, as a, a lot of kind of bike shops would do in the past, you walk in, you're selling the bike that's on the shop floor, and it's the salesman, you know, basically selling, trying to sell that bike to the customer because he's got it in stock, regardless of whether it's the right size or the actual product the customer's after, whereas obviously we can offer you exactly what you need. Yeah, I think that's particularly interesting and germane to the gravel market simply because the consumers have to go through so much thought process of what does my terrain look like? What do I want to do? What are my intentions? And these gravel bikes are so configurable and their personalities can be so different based on tire, wheel size, bar width, all these things that you give them the option to. So to me, when I looked at the Ribble site, I said that this is almost an accelerant for the consumer to have all the conversations they should be having with themselves about what they want to do with this bike. So they make sure they get it as they need it right when it comes off the factory floor. That's right. Yeah. And I think gravels is it's the unusual one of all of the, the different sort of sectors that we sell bikes in because it's new to the point where I don't think across the industry it hasn't become a stable platform of what is a gravel bike, what is gravel geometry. And a lot of it does come down to the end use of it. Obviously, gravel, we're still talking about gravel. When we look at mountain bikes, when you look at trails, enduro, downhill, cross country, we look at them as individual categories. We don't just say mountain bike anymore. Whereas gravel, we're still just saying gravel. Even when you look into the events that are currently on offer globally, a lot of them, a lot of it, as the whole pandemic has, has stopped, obviously, mass participation events. And I think the competitive side of gravel probably would have taken a massive step forward last year. I know the UCI um, were talking about you jumping on the bandwagon, potentially world championships and all sorts of competitive racing. But for the moment, outside of over there, you've got things like the Dirty Cans. And over here, we've got the Dirty Reaver, kind of more... A lot of guys are taking it more as bikepacking, adventure, rather than the race side of things. And obviously, you've got such a difference between fully loading a bike to take on a, a long adventure than you know, racing effectively off-road. And it's still, you know, I think as the events unfold and, and people get more into it, we'll see the more develop more from our side as a brand. And we started with our CGR model, which is cross gravel road. And I suppose initially thinking it was the fact that gravel in the UK was slightly slower than it was in in the States to actually get moving. And and we can see that. And it's it's one useful thing with our bike builder tool, because you're not you haven't got a pre-specced catalog bike. It's you get to see through the bike builder what the end consumer is actually using the bike for. And in the year one, it is quite a UK thing, but as a commuter, that you could tell that most people buying the bike were buying it as a commuter. They were running fenders, rear rack, wider kind of heavy-duty road tyres, lights, so it's more of a ride-to-work bike rather than a gravel bike. As the gravel scene took off, you saw people going into bike builder buying the same frame platforms, but then switching to one-by systems, gravel tyres, 
flared bars start to come in, all these kind of things have picked up in the gravel trends. And it's been good to see the development and how the end consumers, you know, have, have, have taken sight of that. The other thing on our side, and it's what lent us to move on to having a gravel-specific range on top of the CGR, was the fact that the CGR was born as effectively relaxed road geometry with bigger clearances. And then we've taken the we've taken a, a hint more from mountain biking, hardtail mountain biking, so the new gravel range. We've gone for slightly longer and lower geometry, so it is a bit more stable off-road, where if you want a, a full-on gravel bike, you can take it down more kind of gnarly ro- trails rather than just bike. Yeah, I thought it was really interesting as someone who's been involved in the sport intimately the last three years. You've got an article on the website about the CGR geometry versus the gravel geometry, and just seeing the frames superimposed on one another was really interesting because I think it is indicative of that trend in gravel, as you said, to make these, to take the mountain bike influence and make these bikes hugely capable while still balancing the ability to ride them on the road and enjoy them. Obviously, it's not a pro tour level road bike anymore. You've made compromises, but at the same token, for most riders, it can be extremely enjoyable as their quote unquote road bike and massively capable as their gravel bike, their bike packing bike, et cetera. Yeah, that's right. I mean, I think it's just been interesting. I think a lot of people in the beginning, it was, I can buy one bike that does it all. And then I think we saw on the other end of the scale, people who maybe had a real high-end road bike, a high-end mountain bike, and wanted the second bike, and it was a plus one, and maybe did go in for a more cheaper entry-level bike because it was a plus one. And now we're seeing again, it's developed so fast, but now people are buying high-end road bike and a high-end gravel bike, rather than it just being the plus one to just give it a go. Yeah, and particularly as people focus more and more on the racing side of things, they're going to be willing to make compromises about comfort to go for speed and performance. And I think I always want to hazard our listeners to say, get the bike that's right for you. It's no use chasing that pro athlete who can replace his equipment and get new wheels, et cetera, and just really wants to go super fast versus the bike that you need in your garage to get to make you your rides as much fun as possible. Yeah, that's right. That's one thing, one key thing. I think we're one of the few brands to offer all the different platforms across different frame materials. You know, often you'll find that by switching frame material, you'll end up with a complete different bike, complete different geometry with a complete different purpose. Whereas we, we don't want to compromise the end consumer, the consumer's like kind of end goal of where they want to ride the bike in the material. If you want that style of bike, you've then got the choice of material, whether it's a, a choice because of budget, whether it's a choice because of just a, a choice from the heart, you know, kind of steel titanium because you like a more kind of classic material or whether it's performance based. You can choose either of those frame materials and, and you're not hindered by a, a different geometry or, or something like that. That's a perfect segue into my next question, which is going specifically into the gravel range and talking about, as you just alluded to, Ribble offers an aluminum model, a carbon model, and a titanium model. Can you talk through, if you were talking to a customer, how they should think about those different frame materials and what the effect might be on performance and budget? Obviously, budget-wise, aluminum is always the starting point, and I say be it because you're on a budget or a lot of people maybe is the plus one as an entry into 
So gravel. And again, a lot of it is depends on what your end usage is. We see a lot of <clears throat> titaniums definitely back with the moment with titanium sales across all models has grown um, dramatically over the last year and a half. But obviously, gravel and the CGR models, it's, it's a material that really lends itself to it. And for its durability, it's got the perfect um, properties with a bit of compliance for off-road riding. Carbon, again, it's maybe for out from our side, possibly one of the kind of slower responding ones. But I think because of it is probably seen as more of a race bike, it does have the attributes our, our carbon bike takes, all of the attributes of our SLR road frame, which is the, the frame that our men's and women's UCI pro teams, you know, it's, it's had the same, uses the same two profiles, carbon layups as our high-end road bikes. It's got aerodynamic attributes to it, but obviously until things like mass participation events and actual gravel racing take part, maybe there isn't such a need for that kind of bike, whereas at the moment it is more a do-it-all bike. The alloy and the titanium are popular. With the, I noticed aesthetically one of the signature marks of the Ribble design on the gravel is a dropped stay. Is there a performance benefit to that design? It's, yeah, not just looking on the gravels across the whole range. It's, it is obviously, there is the aesthetic side to it, but the compliance it does offer a more comfortable ride, you know, especially on, on the endurance bikes, on the gravel bikes, on the CGR. And does that translate to the aluminum offering as well? Is there sort of tuning of the frame material that can allow? I know aluminum has the reputation of being, you know, incredibly stiff and harsh. Can you design in some of the, some suppleness to that rear end on the aluminum bike as well? Yeah, you can from obviously the shape of the the seat stays. And another thing that is very popular is. You know, and obviously you can do with our bike builders, things like the carbon seat post. The carbon seat post is one of the most popular upgrades on the aluminium bikes because the drop stay along with the carbon post, it does give, you know, a, a notable difference in flex and comfort. Yeah, I was always surprised by that. I had a, a hardtail mountain bike from, I think, BMC back in the day, and they had a drop stay and I had a carbon post. And it, the suppleness is notable, and it, it's not disconcerting. And I, I think certainly for the gravel side of things, you need to look at all these elements to get the suppleness that you're looking for in the bike. That's right. Yeah. I mean, and I think one of the, the main, probably the biggest difference, the biggest fastest growing trend across all bikes at the moment is tire size. You know, it's gone. You think how long we were on kind of 19 to 21, 23 mil tires for years and years. And then it went 25, 28, 32 on road bikes very quickly. I don't think it'll be long before, maybe outside of racing, where a 32 mil tire is pretty much the standard even on the road for comfort and using the tires as well as part of your, your compliance. Yeah, I think you're- Obviously on the gravel bikes, you've, you've definitely got that. Yeah, you're absolutely right. As far as tire clearance goes on the gravel range, is there a difference between the CGR models and the gravel models in terms of tire clearance? They're both 45 mil with guards. With seven, is so that 700C? 700C and a 47 by 650. Okay, great. And and do you see that for UK riding, is that sort of size range pretty much cover the gamut of the type of terrain you'll get into in the UK? It does for the UK, definitely, yeah. I know some brands are out of 50 mil, but I think for the UK, 45 mil definitely covers it. Speaking about the, the UK market, I'm curious, since we've had a few guests on from the UK, but I'm just curious about the UK gravel market in general. You mentioned a couple notable events. What are some of the other ones that, that 
people outside the UK should have on their calendar of interest? It is still very new over here. So going on right now is the Tuscany Trail, so not in the UK, but obviously in Italy, and you know, that's dubbed as being the biggest bike packing event in the world. That's obviously a, a cool event that's on at the moment. We've got Dirty Reaver. I did that myself two years ago last year obviously they had to cancel it I did it two years ago and that was a great event and that really did show the popularity and the growing popularity is that a yeah, single day event the Dirty Reaver a yeah, single day event so there's a, I think 130k is the short one and 200 to full full distance that's up in the north of England and it's all on nice fire tracks it's not too technical but it's 200k that never crosses the same same track twice so obviously you know for the UK that's pretty amazing to do 200k and effectively one big loop and the kind of event that i think it entry sold out within two or three days so that kind of thing is obviously that's what's going to be i'm pretty sure that's going to be the new big thing and as i say i think if we hadn't have had the everything on lockdown last year we would have seen already a massive increase in events yeah i think you're right that last year it was just every, all the trends were telling us that every event was going to be challenging to get into and there were going to be some massive new ones on the calendar so there is so much pent up demand. And as you mentioned, as a lot of bikes got under people's bodies this past year in the pandemic, and they're just waiting to take them out on some sort of event. That's right. Yeah. Because I mean, it's even seeing where people are riding them just for social riding, because we don't really, apart from that area in the north of England, they say there's hundreds of kilometers of trails to ride. But for the rest of the UK, it's either canal paths, tow paths, which are obviously very basic terrain. Otherwise, it's taken it on effective mountain bike trails. We don't have the hundreds of kilometers of kind of white roads that, you know, you guys probably do. Um, so you're seeing a complete different style of what is gravel riding. One of the guys who works for Ribble, he runs one of the biggest forums, gravel riders in the UK, and you know, he was saying he was at the weekend and he was on a, effectively a mountain bike trail, and everyone was surprised that he was there on his gravel bike. What are you doing on there on that bike? Yeah, I think it's funny because you can a lot of in a lot of situations like that, you can ride your gravel bike to the mountain bike area, ride the loop, and then ride home. Whereas the mountain bikers are all getting in their car and cruising over to begin with. <clears throat> yeah, so that's exciting. Is is Ribble involved in any of the events specifically as a sponsor? Not at the moment. I mean, I think basically because. I think over here, yes, events have started to kind of take place again, but so many events are still, I think even events that are happening, it's so touch and go down to the last minute whether they're going ahead or not. So we've, I think generally, we took a bit of a back step on events over the last year. We had a big events plan for last year, which the whole thing had to be cancelled. And obviously sales were so good last year anyway that, between events cancelled and sales going well, focus has changed. You know, I think once things do to return to normal, we'll, we'll be back. We hadn't even talked about things like Dirty Reaver and having a presence there because we know how important they will be moving forwards. We're just starting to see, I think this month here, June in the US, that the big events are starting to kick off again. We're fortunate that vaccination rollout's been pretty strong here in the US. So a lot of people have gotten the vaccination shot. So Unbound, formerly Dirty Kanza, is actually going off probably the weekend before this episode will release. So we'll see. That's really the first one. I think that's going to kick off the very, very major events here in the US side. Yeah, yeah. I think we're, it seems to be time trialing. That's pretty much <laughs> the only one that's got the guaranteed participation. <laughs> 
group riding is a bit more a bit more difficult yeah absolutely time trialing has had a, a rich history in the uk it's so different than it is here in the u.s i know Time trialing used to be just part of my father's youth growing up. Every week, he would go visit the county time trial and try to rip out a good time. Yeah, I think you could probably ride a club time trial every day of the week in the UK, somewhere <laughs> in the country. That's amazing. For the Ribble brand, are you selling across Europe and across the world at this point? Yes, we are. Obviously, UK is still the biggest market, but we're definitely we've expanded globally the us is probably the largest growing outside of the uk obviously we've seen a pre even pre-pandemic growth into a lot of other countries where we hadn't previously touched on but it's, it's good to see because it has been all natural growth we've not actually done any real targeted uh, marketing for any particular you know kind of territory outside of the uk so any growth has been you know it's come naturally which is uh, obviously very promising yeah, I think you get a like a heightened level of commitment from the riders when they've found you naturally, they fall in love with the brand, they get it underneath them, they're going to be very passionate users. That's right, yeah. I think from what I've seen, I think one, I think the products that helped us was probably our e-bike range. When we started with our e-bike range, basically we renewed our whole range in one go. And one of the key bikes, like a bit like the gravel within Europe, UK was probably the slowest responder in the e-bike market, where Northern Europe, particularly places like Germany, the you know, e-bikes as a mountain biker, as a everyday hybrid commuter had become kind of a an everyday thing for years. In the UK, it wasn't such a, a popular trend. And we reversed things in a way by starting with a, a lightweight carbon bike to fit in with our heritage as, as a road brand, but reverse the trends of what everyone else was doing by starting with mountain bikes and hybrid bikes and then going towards road bikes. But I think in doing so, and I think when we launched, you know, we launched the lightest carbon e-bike in the world, I think that puts us on the map as a brand, whether customers are interested in an e-bike or not <clears throat> and i think that bike helped drive awareness of the brand and from there we've obviously we've just seen it grow and grow in all sectors interesting and one final question one of the big challenges for the entire industry has been supply chain and componentry and getting your hands on the parts you need to get these bikes out the door how are you feeling about the current state of supply chain and and how are you guys looking for inventory at this point if listeners are interested in picking up a gravel bike yeah, it is. It's difficult as it is with everyone. I think we are probably one of the best placed out there, and a lot of it because we were very fast to respond, which was good. But the key thing is the fact that because of our bike builder and every bike is built to order, we're not running uh, model years or catalog models. Where if you run out of that model and then that was the invention for that year, then you're stuck. We can make those small changes even if it's for a lot of people it could be that bike in that spec it might be the tires that are stopping that bike that they're taking the lead time from being next month to being seven months and because it, it they are built one bike to one mechanic we can just simply call up the customer and say look if you want to change your tires you can have that bike next month which is where you know you see the dates on the website and you might see a bike that's got a kind of five six month lead time but it can be that one part and we have got that flexibility to, to change that one part. And as I say, sometimes it is as simple as a tire, handlebar tape, anything like that. And we can respond to that by 
switching these parts out, which is one that we're trying to stay on top of all the time to make sure we've always got these parts available. But even if it is a bike that you've ordered and then that one part is a difficulty, we are, you know, we'll contact the customer and you know, let them know you can change this part out, you can have your bike a lot sooner, which yeah. is something that not many other people have, have got on their uh, on their side. That's very true. I hadn't thought about it that way, but if you're a, a big through the independent bicycle retailer channel and you show that you've got a Panaracer tire and you don't have a Panaracer tire, all of a sudden you can't ship that bike because it's false advertising or what yep. have you and it, everything becomes crazy and you can't get it out the door. I love that. I also love what you noted earlier about how much data you get in real time from the customer. If they're moving towards flared bars or bigger tires, all these things really makes the Ribble business model interesting and flexible. So it was super exciting to learn about that. And I encourage the listener to go to Ribble's website, play around with the bike configurator. It's just a lot of fun because it forces you to think through what's the ideal bike from me? Because you're not buying off a catalog, you're buying the bike that's built for you. That's right, yeah. <clears throat> and even down to, obviously, the custom color. And that's been a real interesting experience in seeing where people will spend extra money on color over something that like, a more experienced person would say. Going back to the, the kind of the age-old thing of upgrading your wheels is always going to be one of the first things you'd always do on a bike. But maybe taking a, a fairly uh, basic spec drive chain and, and wheel set, but then they'll spend a fair amount of money on upgrading the color. And we see that all the time. And it's one of those things in my head, I would think, and why would you do that? But then you see it more and more, obviously, by having... The bikes built here on premises, one to one mechanic. You walk for every day, and you just see what colours people are going for, what specs, and so interesting seeing what people are going for because it's they have got the freedom to do pretty much what they want. Yeah, I love that. I love that. I had a manufacturing facility myself, and some days I would see the custom work going out the door and think, "God, that person's crazy for picking that colorway." And other times I would see combinations that would never have dawned on me and think, "That is absolutely brilliant. What a great idea." Yeah, when we launched our, a few months back, we launched our CGR step-through e-bike. And one of the first ones I saw on the shop floor was, had been up spec to carbon wheels, carbon bars. You would never find a pre-spec step-through bike with carbon wheels, carbon bars. I don't think in any brand in the world. <laughs> you know, but obviously someone out there, maybe for mobility reasons, needed a step-through for even ease of getting on and off the bike. But didn't mean to say they weren't after a, a high-end performing bike. So, you know, why not put DI2 carbon wheels and carbon bars on it? Yeah, why not? Jamie, I appreciate all the time. It was great to get to know you a little bit and get to know the Ribble brand. Big thanks to Jamie for joining the show this week and telling us all about the Ribble brand. Very excited about what they're working on and very excited to get one underneath me myself. Keep following me on Instagram, and you may see me on one of their gravel bikes sometime soon. This week, my big ask for you is if you've got a gravel cycling friend, please share this episode with them or one of my other episodes. I'm always looking to connect with new riders and hopefully provide a little bit of help in their journey to become gravel cyclists. Until next time, here's to finding some dirt under your wheels. <laughs>